Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm my chip ups, man. I got this, yeah. What up, everybody? We're back again. Episode 17. 17. Wow. We've been doing it. It's time flies when you're having fun. So first off, we want to thank all the new listeners. We've been getting a big uptick in listeners. We really appreciate everyone's support and following the podcast. If you're new here, go over to Twitter. Follow us at AnklePickPod. Every once in a while, we get a little wood on the ball. We say something hilarious. I believe Danny actually got retweeted by Marlins man last week. So that was big. Added some followers there as well. But we're all here for a good time and to get drunk. And I think that's what everyone's all about. And so, making money. Anyways. Don't forget, money. we're here to make cash. Both, money both printer Danny go burr. Both Danny and I swept last week. And then we also swept two weeks ago. So we are massively in the green. We're enjoying it. We're, we're living life. And uh, we just wanted to take this quick second before we get into business to uh, to appreciate and thank all the new listeners and followers. We really do appreciate it. We put a lot of work in to the podcast and a lot of effort and time in. So for all you guys listening on your commutes or whatever you're doing, we really do appreciate it. And if you can go ahead, give us a follow on Twitter. Um, that's always appreciated as well. So starting Reese, you brushed that, past that. You brushed past that real quick, but sweep of the board between two cappers two out of the last three weeks impressive hey, we're, stuff we're we're big time in the green and our ankle pick flocks are continuing to roll as well who do we have last week dan for lock of the week i don't even all last week our lock of the week together. was a guy who earned a bonus casey kenny mm, casey kenny <laughs> wait was it last week it was rock oh was it casey kenny was two weeks ago yes 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 it was rock we had Casey Kenny three. Javcott. Oh, like I that. forgot that. My yeah, underdog. But I think we both played Kenny yeah. as well. So it, the problem is, and for anyone who's been a long time better, eventually when you have too much green, it all kind of just meshes together. So no issue for Dan there. But we had Rachmanov, uh, Danny and I. And was that a dog as well? I believe it was a dog when we got it. He closes a minor favorite, but we were we were ahead of that one. So, again – Pays to listen early in the week, it seems, which is always nice. So the lock of the week, the lock of the week moves to three and one. Would be four and zero oh if I could have gotten Danny on Andrage, but he paid the Malort, so we're all good there. So we're going to recap prelims last uh, from last week. This card needs to be discussed. There was a lot of crazy stuff that happened, and overall the fight card was good. Now, I. Disclosure, don't have as much to say about the prelims as I'd like to say. I caught a couple on my phone, but I was busy this weekend with the World Series and all, but your boy still caught some. But I'm going to hand this over to Danny, and I believe, Kobe, you also watched this week to make up for me. Yeah? So yeah, I did. So let's get – there we go. So, so we got two panels. Oh, and I forgot to mention this in the introduction. It's just Danny and Kobe and myself this week. Both Parker and Shiner are taking the week off for whatever too reason. Too well to attend. Yeah, too well to attend. There you go. So let's get into these prelims. So the early prelims were uh, Yoel Alvarez, who I think unanimously the pod tends to be against. He got a sub win. 
Yeah, Yoel's one of those guys. He's got he's got really good jujitsu, but he absolutely has no strategy for taking the fight to the mat. Seems like in the last two fights we've seen, it was guys that shot takedowns right away and kind of got themselves in precarious situations. I'd love to see what happens when Joel does not get an opponent that's going to shoot on him right away. Someone who maybe stands or someone who will at least set up their takedowns and not leave their head out there to get guillotined or whatnot. Yeah, you got to if you're if you're fighting Joel Alvarez and you're taking him to the mat and you're pushing the issue, it's it seems to be a recipe for disaster. The Joseph Duffy fight was a tough look, but Joel Alvarez is a guy that I personally was um, against after the Demir fight, I was like, holy crap, this dude's stand-up is absolute dog shit. I knew he had a sub game to him, but he's gone on a three-fight win streak since then, all in the UFC. So, is this guy someone to be looking out for, or are we all is our initial notions all right where this guy's a guy that can be overlooked for now, until we see something different? His jujitsu is definitely something to note. It's really crisp. He's getting really crisp finishes early, too. Um, but I don't All think early. that he's. Yeah. I don't think that he's nearly well-rounded enough to be a contender going forward. I don't see him being a factor no, in this division. I, I'm. I'm strong unless he makes leaps and bounds in his striking. I, I don't think his submission game will be enough. I don't know if his if his um, him pushing the issue in the wrestling game either would benefit him. He seems like a guy who likes to work off his back. And as we know from a lot of different fighters who tend to work off your back, if you don't get the finish, it's almost a recipe to give yourself a loss on the cards, which is always a bomber. So moving into the prelims, this is one that I really want to talk about because I notoriously fade Sam Alvey as well. I like the guy. I like the guy's personality. But Zhang Daun came in at a minus 300-something favorite. Or in the, or at least in the in the high two hundreds, and and this was a draw. So, if you watch this, scored it on your own card, or what have you. But how how did this end up in a draw, and and what notes did you take away from this one? So I actually scored this one for Jung. Um, he was a little bit late to kind of get started, and was a little bit slow, and Sam was able to take advantage of that. But um, I think it was round yeah, three right, so that they gave him a ten eight. Yeah. Uh, the 10-8. Sam did. Smile and Sam did. What? Wow. You never hear that. He must have done. I, see, I, I – so I – for all those listeners out there, I had a, a really busy weekend. I wasn't able to watch the prelims. I obviously cut everything short to get in for the main card. I did watch the Alex Oliveira fight, which is next, because that was our lock of the week. So I watched that on my phone. I watched the Casey Kenny fight on my phone. And I watched the Stephen Struve fight. So I guess – Oh, no, no. So, I'm sorry. Other way around. I'm, I, I, yeah. So, so what I said was, I said was correct. Jung started slow, lost the first two, and then really put it on, put it on him in the last, and he got the 10-8. Yeah. I think this is one of those where I tend to fade Sam Alvey. He's a veteran guy. He's a, he's a funny personality. He seems like a great guy, both in and outside the octagon. It's more just like, for me, I feel like he's significantly over the hump. I remember... He's a guy who, to me, has a lot of uh, holes that you can exploit. So I, I thought Jung was going to come in and, and, and really do some work. I think that if they ran this back, and again, I, I did not watch this, but I imagine the 10-8 would lead him into probably dominating the next time around. 
But there's a whole class of fighters who start slow, and they still do fine. I mean, Tony Ferguson's a guy who I first comes to my mind who starts extremely slow and then picks it up over the course of the fight and usually gets finishes or Ws. So that brings us to the lock of the week. Rachmanov versus Alex Oliveira. That was a submission win in the first round. Your insight last week on Rachmanov seemed to pay 100% exactly how you you wrote it out on our on our call. Yeah, I mean, Shavkat is the real deal. This guy is super well-rounded. Uh, I know that Alex Oliveira has a lot of success in the clinch, and I thought that Shavkat was going to have the advantage in the clinch, and he ended up jumping a guillotine the second that they got in the clinch because he was so comfortable there. Uh, this yeah. guy's definitely someone to really, really – look forward to in this 170 pound division. I know that Hamzat has a lot of hype right now, having just gotten that win over uh, GM three. But I think that Alex Oliveira is almost the steeper competition than Gerald Mearshart. I think Shavkat is this guy who's quietly an unbelievable prospect in this 170 pound division. The thing that I really take away from Rachmanov that I like a lot is not only his composure, not only his ground ability, which he obviously showed in spades this past weekend, but also the fact that he can strike. He outlanded Oliveira as well, both in significant strikes and volume. It's something that when you see a guy who can put together all of it, then you start to gain comfort in him in his approach when he takes fights. Because if his corner and his camp does the right, the right game plan, he can beat anyone anywhere. And those are the type of guys that become contenders. And I think that... Cosmot showed that where he dominates on the ground, but he also put GM3's lights out in five seconds. And I think Rachmanov's of a similar cut cloth. And so those are both guys that can really win anywhere this goes. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see where he goes. Again, this being, I believe, his UFC debut. Definitely. Comes in, yeah. rips a sub on Alex Oliveira. You love to see that. Moving forward on these prelims, Nathaniel Wood, Casey Kenny. We all love Casey Kenny here. This fight was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. It was kind of a nerve-wracking decision. I thought Casey Kenny's volume and power was going to pay dividends. He ended up gassing a little bit from what I saw. But nonetheless, Nathaniel Wood be a decision. Nathaniel Wood's a guy that I watched a lot in Cage Warriors. And a lot of people, he's newer on the UFC scene. But this is a good, good win for Casey Kenny, in my opinion. This is one that, that I hold in, in higher regard than most, I think because I have so much respect for Nathaniel Wood, but Casey Kenny's a guy that at this, uh, does he fight at Bantam these days? Yeah. He's going to make a lot of noise. Yeah. Right. Similarly to how Reese was saying, this was a super fun fight with a crazy pace set from the beginning. These are two guys that I know it was at catch weight, but these are two guys that are going to make a lot of noise in this band weight division. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So for those who are getting the inside info by, by watching this pod, if you're not or whatever, take take a couple notes on watching Rachmanov, on Rock, uh, watching guys like both Kenny and Wood, because there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the future to bet names like this for people who don't know or have as much confidence behind these names. Because when people bet these lines, the volume tends to go for guys like Alex Oliveira, the veterans, the guys that people know about, the guys who get quick finishes, and so guys like Rachmanov slip through the cracks. And Danny and I got him as a lock of a week as a dog so that's something that if you continue to tune in week in and week out you'll be able to find that value 
uh, here. So we're excited to bring that for you. So also, I mean, our week in week out listeners have, have they got to be realizing that we've got a great eye for these prospects. We don't yeah. put multiple and, units on unless we know that these prospects are the real deal. Yeah, and if you're also listening to our point five episodes finding out where Danny and I are kind of setting the lines on our own. And, and that's been helping us as well with our record and kind of figuring out where these lines are going to end up finishing. So finishing off these prelims, it was a heavyweight fight. Stefan Struvers tied to Ivasa. Danny mentioned last week, it was the first fight ever. I think to Ivasa was the underdog. Didn't matter. First round KO, TKO. To me, it looked like Struve gave up. I think he kind of just took a dive right before the end of the round. I mean, there was one second left. It was an upper cup that kind of landed, but but he he, he kind of just dove. And Struve's a guy who's been in and out of retirement, battled health issues. He, he's a guy that I, I don't necessarily think should really step in the octagon anymore. And, and this past week just proved that for me even even more. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah, I don't know if you saw anything different. So um, that's it for the prelims this last week. They, they were good all in all. And I'm excited to watch a lot of these guys moving forward. But now this is where... I was in full utmost attendance. I did not need to watch my phone anymore. So this was good. Let's start off with the light heavyweight who both Danny and I laid in our bets this past week. Magomed Akalayev versus Ian Kutalaba. To me, what I saw, and I'm sure Danny saw something similar, these two men are in different classes. Kutalaba has a place in this division. I'm not saying for the UFC to cut him by any means. I just think it's more of a nod to Ankalaev and his power, his counter striking, and his precision. His precision. And it's layers of defense. One of these guys is a yeah. contender, and one of these guys is is a puncher. Yeah, and a, and a, and a flashy gatekeeper type guy in in Kutalaba. But Ankalaev's precision on the counters is what really, to me, was was noteworthy because he he would not necessarily backpedal, but he he picked his shots, but. I mean, I think they all just landed right on the chin, and and with power too, no less. So, Uncle, I have a guy going, a guy moving forward, especially at this light heavyweight division. I think he he could have a lot of he could make a lot of noise with his striking and counter striking. Yeah, I'd love to see him get like a Nikita Krylov or Vulcan Ozdemir next, someone to really test. Ooh, his... you want to? You already want to give him Vulcan? Yeah, I mean, they're only five spots separated in the rankings. Crazy. That goes back to me always hating on the light heavyweight depth. But Vol- I mean, Vulcan's a guy who I wouldn't be upset if he challenged for the title. You know, I mean, so that's that's how close a guy like Ankalaev is to that mix. We tend to not totally talk about women's flyweight or uh, or strawweight, but this Lauren Murphy man, holy shit, that was one of the cleanest subs ever. I know Lilia Shakarova. I you might know more about her than I do. For me, it looked like she didn't really belong in there with Lauren Murphy. And I know Lauren Murphy, people have been dropping the word retirement around her. But when I saw her go out there and move through Shakarova like a warm knife through butter, I don't see any reason why she should retire. I mentioned last week that I'm not a Lauren Murphy fan, and I'm still not a Lauren Murphy fan. <laughs> uh, Shakarova definitely looked like she should be competing strictly at 115 um she looked way too small for lauren and they're way too weak for lauren she got in on the hips multiple times and wasn't strong enough to get a takedown uh this one i i see obviously the sub for lauren was great i think it was one of her first career ufc subs or something 
It might have been number one, honestly. And that was – she was talking something about either getting her black belt off this sub or working for a black belt. But I actually believe this might be her first – at least UFC submission, I, I believe. For me, it didn't convince have... me anything other than Shakarova's in the wrong weight class. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a okay. big Lauren Murphy fan. I'll admit to where I have a lot of negative bias there, but yeah. I didn't see this so much as. See, I, I like Lauren. Lauren Murphy a little more. She's a gamer, but I, I agree. I, I didn't take too much note into this, and, and this isn't one that I'm necessarily writing home about either. So continuing along, trucking along, this is one that I will get to it later. I, I took a bath on the main event challenge. I saw I saw a guy with a, a 4-0 record with very little experience fighting against a guy who got caught on Tuesday Night Contender. And, and my dumb ass was like, oh, Dana White must have saw something. I, I, wrote, I, saw, I looked into something that wasn't there because uh, this man did not belong in there. Not to mention he trains with Whitaker. So he's got that Malcoon experience does? in the gym. Yeah, Malcoon's I know he's a, an Aussie. Wow. He's a big training well, partner of Robert Whitaker. He's looking at that pink slip or at least one fight away from the pink slip because Phil Hawes ended him in 18 seconds of round one, which that didn't last very long. But it was a great – for me, I liked having a guy like Phil Hawes on this main card, a pay-per-view no less. I think he got a lot of eyeballs on him. And he's a guy that – he goes in that mix with the – Super, super athletic power punchers who can bring a lot of excitement to the sport, but nece- don't necessarily have the fight IQ or the well-roundedness that, that you'd like to see in a mixed martial artist, but they're exciting, no less. Definitely. Okay. Hawes is, so, is an all-time voice doesn't match what you think it would be. Yeah, when he started getting interviewed after that fight, after his yeah, clean knockout in 18 the, seconds. All time, like, holy shit, that's their voice, is Marlon Marais and Phil Hawes. Those two, you're just like, wait a second. And Mike Tyson. Tyson, too, minus the whole speech impediment. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say to Tyson's face, he'd take my head clean off. But every once in a while, you get a good yuck. But Phil Hawes, I don't know if he's a guy that I want to put on our prospects to watch list in the same type of sentence as Rachmano. But, like, I, I would like to see more from him. I hope he gets back in there pretty soon especially if he stays on Fight Island. So now these are the ones that I want to dive a little bit deeper in. Our producer, Kobe, is kind of urging us on in a little bit. But these three fights are both amazing. They're both, they both play a factor in the, in the rankings as well. So Volkov, Walt Harris. I had this going to decision. I, I knew all along or had a very strong feeling that Volkov was going to win. Um, I know the line 180 was already kind of high, but – Volkov's a guy that after he beat Greg Hardy the way he beat Greg Hardy, I, I knew the power and the, and the strength that Walt brought to the table wasn't going to be enough. The thing that surprised me was the KOTKO aspect of it. Volkov strikes me as a guy who likes to stay at range and, and rack up points and do slow damage over time. And so He's I was a traditional really kickboxer. Yeah, very, very, very traditional. Another thing to note for this fight, thoughts. The back tattoo is awesome. Uh, it, <laughs> it makes me think like he had a meeting with his manager back in Russia, and they were like, you're, you're, you're getting hidden in, in the group. You need to stand out. And he was like, oh, I'll put this giant fucking thing on my yeah. back. He went, he went from a, like, a manti- uh, not a mantatee, but like one of those, st- like a ginormous stingray, manta ray, 
And all of a sudden, he comes out, his entire back is just inked to holy hell. So I don't know if, if he was just sick of the old tattoo or what. That's what I took away from this fight, but also the fact that Volkov's a guy that if, if you're putting up him against a guy like Derek Lewis, who I know he lost to off a flashy knockout, but if you're putting him up against the Greg Hardys, the Derek Lewises, the um, Walt Harris's, the guys who their main thing they bring to the table is power, he's, he seems to be able to beat those guys from what I see using his range and his traditional kickboxing. I do think that this performance kind of propelled him back into the contender uh, conversation that he got out of after getting dominated by Curtis Blades. I'd love to see yeah. him versus another uh, proficient kickboxer like Jarzinho or Overeem. I think yeah. that'd be and an that, awesome fight. I would love, I would love him to fight either of those guys, either of those guys. I actually prefer Overeem. I think, I think uh, Rosenstrike still has a little bit of work to do in the division, but. I mean, because he's relying 100% purely on power, which is fine. And Ganu does it too. But the problem with the light heavyweights, or the, I mean the heavyweights, is that their division's a little tied up because I think Curtis Blades is the number one contender. He, to me, is the most dominant threat. And Ganu's beaten him twice and fast both times. So his wrestling is not playing a factor because Ngannou's hammer fists and, and short crosses are powerful. So this division's a little muddied. I don't know where they go from here, but I, I, I love your idea of Volkov, Overeem, or even Volkov, Rosenstrike. Now, this one is the one I want to talk about the most, but I know I'm going to get shoot off the stage. Bobby Knuckles, the guy of all guys, the goat of all goats, came in against Jared Cannonier as a minor underdog, got the jo job done in, tr in dominating fashion. Takeaways, Dan. Uh, takeaways, Bobby Knux is still Bobby Knux. I, I think we both bet yes, on him hoping that he yes, was sir. the guy who dominated this division up until that Izzy loss. And he is that guy. That that uh, jab-straight head-kick combo is still just as fluid as ever. The good news for Bobby Knuckles is I think everything he was saying about his mental health and his, the way he was – thinking about this camp and the sport and the way he went to the training camp. I do think that's true based on his, this performance compared to his last performances. It's a question mark around his chin, but Cannoneer is definitely no slouch when it comes to power. The one thing I want to talk about though, comes to striking good enough to ever compete without a sign. And if he doesn't mix it in wrestling, my answer is no. And I, and this Cannoneer fight didn't fix that for me. I agree with you. Um, I would, I, like I said, we, uh, we learned this weekend that Bobby Knox is still Bobby Knox. But he looked more outmatched than just the mental aspect when he fought Izzy. Uh, that that one was not yeah. a competitive. I mean, he was fight. saying he was saying even before he went into the fight that his mental took some serious tolls. He didn't want to be in there. His training camp suffered because of it. He's had a lot of injuries too. But I, I'm with you. I think that there would have been a similar result. Regardless, I think anyone who's a good counter striker like Izzy or a really good traditional boxer will have their way with Whitaker if he doesn't mix in wrestling. Um, he likes to lunge in and, and throw that jab out, but I don't know. If you're a really proficient counter puncher, he definitely leaves himself exposed. So listening listening to what Izzy and Eugene Behrman have said, I almost think that there's an opportunity for Whitaker to just go and grab his belt back when Izzy moves up to 205. It sounds like Izzy's bored and kind of wants uh, Jan Blahovic or the John Jones fight, which is being talked I, about a ton. I want, I want
want Whitaker to get a redemption against Izzy. I really do. I think that he was too dominant of a champion and too good of a guy to uh, not give him that chance. I agree. I think he deserves it. I just yeah. – I'm listening to Eugene say that – Yeah, we'll see. Him. I mean, we'll see. Izzy, Izzy, Izzy's the guy who's calling the fights right now. I mean, he, he's bought enough star power. He can do what he wants to do. So, if he wants to move up and relinquish 85 or go for the double champ title, he can do either of those things. So, Bobby Knuckles, great win by him. Cannoneer will bounce back. I'm sure of it. I think he, this was a really, really good learning point for him. Main event, Habib Namurgamedov retires. Justin Gaethje, class act guy, stays in the ring, gives his, him his respect. Habib was saying that he retired due to the fact that his father passed away. He didn't really find himself in this sport anymore. This was a him and his dad thing, not necessarily just a him thing, and that he gave his mom his word. And, and I truly, truly, truly believe that we, we, we have seen the last of Khabib in the sport of as far as competing inside the octagon. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think he went out on top and as good as he could have, as dominant of his champion as we've ever seen. Uh, I, I wish him the best. I do think he's going to be, I, I do think he's going to be in this sport for the good yeah. next decade. I think he's going to be part of Islam's camp. He's going to be in Islam's corner oh, he's yeah. gonna be with his brothers and his cousins. He's going to, I kind of see him taking over Abdul Manaf's gym and taking over Abdul Manaf's fighters and still being the Khabib that we know, but just not fighting in the octagon, which I really yeah. am, am happy about. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's, corner or moving that Dagestani style wrestling game into and mixed martial arts forward he definitely will continue to leave his footprint and legacy within the sport it's it's just I think that a silver lining that us and all the fans could take away is that this frees up that lightweight division and so now guys who under Habib's reign might never have gotten a chance Dustin Poirier Tony Ferguson Justin Gaethje, just to name a couple. You throw Michael Chandler into that mix. And now all of a sudden you have a very, very live division that has new life since the, the head of the, the food chain is now gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm also really excited about this division. I don't see, I don't see a, a specific fight that I think needs to be the title fight. I mean, you've got three guys who were interim champs that lost to uh, Khabib, and then you got, as you mentioned, Michael Chandler coming in as the Bellator champ. So we, we kind of have four champs, and then Connor, Dan, Oliveira, Felder, that are all contenders. This, no, in a, in yeah, a perfect gotta... world, in a perfect world, I'd love an eight-man tourney. I don't see it happening ever. But no. how and, cool and, and, would but... that be? That'd be sweet, but we have a real, real, real class just being totally revived by this retirement. So I, again, we wish Khabib the best. I, I don't think we ever see him again, but this gave a ton of new life to the lightweight division, and I see no issue with Khabib being pound for pound number one. I agree, and I guess from a scheduling standpoint, uh, I know that Gaethje said he wants to turn around real quick. What makes sense to me is a Gaethje-Chandler fight um, like right away, six to eight weeks, and then the winner of that fight's the winner of Connor Poirier because that's already in the books. It's already scheduled. You don't need a belt for that card. It's going to sell. It's going to make money. And 
it kind of leaves Tony high and dry, which sucks, but I do think he's going to be in the mix too. Yeah, it, it's tough because Tony's the guy that went on the 11-fight win streak. Everyone wants to see him fight Khabib. Gets dominated one time by Keiichi, and now we're talking about him on the outside looking in. It's just an unfortunate situation. I think Tony's really gotten screwed here in the past couple of years, but that's the fight business, man, and, and I'm sure he's going to fight his way back in there, but you look at the lightweight division up and down, there's some real, real fighters in there. So I'm excited to see where it goes from here, but I'm just happy to see some life injected into it. So we're going to get into news and notes. Not much. Uh, one thing I wanted to add is just that there is a really nice Bellator card, uh, I believe on the 29th. No, 30th. 29th? I can't. Friday. It's the, the day before. So it's, it's the 30th. It's the 30th. So there's a re- or no, it's the 29th. It's it's tomorrow. There's a okay. real good Bellator, a real good Bellator card tomorrow. Um, it's got Douglas Lima versus Gegar Musasi. I believe it's at welterweight or I mean middleweight, which is up for Douglas Lima. I doubt Musasi would cut all the way down to welter. And then there's a couple other ones. I, I know Nick Newell, the famous one-handed fighter. He fought on the Contender Series. He's fighting. He's also the favorite on this card. And then. Um, some ex UFC guys, Jared Scoggins and also Sabah Hamasi, both those guys as well are on that card. So that's something that can kind of mix us up midweek. There's also an LFA card on the 30th with another UFC veteran, or not really UFC veteran, but he's on the Ultimate Fighter, Joe Giannetti. So there's some real good fights happening this weekend, all leading up to Silva versus Hall on the 31st. Dan, did you have anything to add for news and notes this week? Yeah, just a couple um, just a couple of fights that got announced as scheduled. We got Dom Reyes versus Yuri Porhazka, which might be a number one contender in the light heavyweight division. And then also Cyril Gaon versus Junior Dos Santos, which seems to that be a excited. huge step up in competition for Cyril. Yeah, that one's going to be one that's really exciting about. And I can't wait to dive into that because that's one where there's – so much to break down within that not only fight experience but also just dominance as a whole and so much more to learn from whatever happens in that there's gonna be yeah. i mean if cyril looks great cyril is legit yeah for 100 percent. so we just finished up with news and notes we're going to carry into this week's lack of the week so danny and i were discussing for a long time about this week's lock of the week we didn't want to give anybody anything that we weren't personally placing ourselves and very confident in. After some long discussion, we were like, oh, we might not place lock of the week. And then we both mutually agreed that there is somebody and we found great value. The only reason why we were up in the air is due to line movement. When Danny and I had this discussion, the line was around minus 240, which is beyond fair value. It's currently sitting at minus 350. So it's going to be hard to play the lock of the week in a straight up wager. I still suggest it. I don't really see many paths of uh, victory for Ledet, but we are taking Dustin Jacoby to win that fight against Justin Ledet. We think that Dustin is truly better everywhere, which I personally see. And it's definitely a money line that you can throw into any open parlays you might have with some other maybe heavier favorites or some underdog picks that you like to increase the value a little bit, but both, both coat, uh, both Danny and I were taping this week and we saw the same exact holes that 
uh, Justin Ledette has, and Dustin Jacoby should be able to expose those. And that that's really why the line took off from minus 240, and now we're, it's sitting at a minus 350. Um, we got a little bit in at 240, but if you're still haven't placed, obviously it's uh, the podcast hasn't come out. We, we were on Wednesday this week. Uh, I would wait a little bit because at 350, I, I feel like it's more likely to come down than it is to go up. But yeah, I, I really like this one. Dan, do you have anything to add about what we really saw with uh, Dustin Jacoby versus Ledette? Because I know you said during taping, couple of things really jumped out at you that we we both agreed and saw yeah uh the only thing was during taping it seems like justin ledette refuses to check kicks and you got jacoby who is an absolutely phenomenal kickboxer a guy who spent a lot of time in thailand kickboxing i don't see justin being able to walk coming round two yeah i agree and i also see him being able to just in that thai fashion to to make this fight just a really nasty, grueling fight that I, I just really don't see a scenario where Ledet is able to work the game plan he wants and and get this where he wants. So that's our lock of the week. It's also fortunate that's not on the main card, so Kobe can't get a free pick there while he continues. Chalk to of the week. Lead. Yeah, chalk of the week for Dan. So the thing is, and and we mentioned this. It's it's definitely a play for us. We're sorry that the line faded up so high, but we are, in fact, 3-1 and one on locks of the week, and we continue to improve that mo- moving forward. So money to be made. Moving on to prelims this week. A little bit less to talk about than usual, just due to the fact that this is a, a ESPN Plus card, but still a couple fights worth noting and, and a couple big names. So the first fight is a bantamweight fight between Miles John and Kevin Natividad. This one, for me, I started taping from the main card down. I haven't seen much yet. I've seen both of these guys fight. Um, I'm I'm actually also unfamiliar with the line at the moment as I'm pulling it up. So it's it's a very close line. Miles John, minus 155. Kevin, plus 135. Dan, have you you taped this one yet? Or is there anything to add that that you've seen or or just from prior knowledge? I did tape this one a little bit. John says a great wrestling background. He shows a lot of different feints and – has decent combos. That's why he's the favorite. But Natividad making his debut, I expect him to come out like a bat out of hell. He's going to start fast. He's got great BJJ. He's got phenomenal cardio is the thing. This guy never tires. He seems to step in, step out, throw combos, and not even breathe. The guy is just unbelievable with the cardio. At, I, I wrote it down at plus 140. I think you said 135. I do yeah. think Natividad is a live dog here. This is a really interesting one in terms of prospects coming out of the bantamweight division. I don't have a sure read anyway, but Natividad is for sure a live dog. I expect the Hawaiian to come out hard. For a long time, I wondered why I didn't have a girlfriend, and now I just realized it's because I know who Kevin Natividad is, and he hasn't even made his UFC debut yet. Um, <laughs> it's because I've, I've watched him fight in LFA for a while now, and that's just – that's tough. I mean, that's a tough look, but he does have a win over Irwin Rivera, who we saw and we called a COVID fighter. And so he, he, and LFA is no slots for a promotion. So definitely a live dog here as he faces Miles John, who I, I don't believe has a ton of UFC experience. It looks like he has two fights. 
uh, not including the contender series. So, and one of them is against a guy that I believe is on this card in Cole Smith. Oh no, Cole Williams on this card. So moving forward, women's bantamweight, Danny swore off women's fights and I don't have much to say. It also looks at this moment as we're taping that Courtney Casey, it looks like she might not have an opponent yet. Did an opponent scratch or something? The, the fight card is vacant for Courtney Casey's opponent. That's new to me. I thought uh, I thought I had her against Priscilla Cachoeira. But... I also had that, but the U, uh, Google card on UFC has it as completely vacant. But uh, regardless, if it is against um, Priscilla, she's a girl who can take ridiculous amounts of damage, as you can watch in the Valentina Shevchenko fight. But again, we uh, we openly admit the fact that women's MMA handicapping is not necessarily our strength unless it's Andrade for myself. Moving on, light heavyweight fight, Dustin Jacoby versus Justin Ledette. That one, obviously, we got into a little bit. It is our ankle lock of the week, and we're riding with Dustin Jacoby. As we previously stated, Justin Ledette doesn't like to check the leg kicks and has a very little chance of being able to execute the game plan he wants due to Dustin Jacoby's tremendous kickboxing ability especially at that light heavyweight division he has an absolute leg up a welterweight bout cole williams versus jason witt danny you see anything with these you tape this one yet or anything you want to add i, t- I taped this one a little bit both of these guys made their ufc debut just in their last fight and both lost in pretty uh dramatic fashion Really, I, I see this one as an LFA fight at best. I don't, I don't see why either of these guys have have their contracts. Um, Williams does use his reach effectively and looks more technically sound at the price. I, I mean, it's pretty much pick him, but plus one ten for Cole Williams looks like a good price. That being said, I don't think either of these guys has a super deep future <laughs> in this sport. Yeah, I I just looked really quickly. Both of them lost their UFC debut. In the first round, one was via sub and Cole Williams, and one was via TKO with Jason Witt, both against guys who are gatekeepers is a compliment in the UFC. It's Claudio Silva and um, Takashi Sato. So Takashi Sato, I do have a lot of respect for, and it is worth he saying is, that they both made the – gatekeeper not accurate? It is accurate. <laughs> It's worth saying that they both made their debut on short notice, though. And yeah. so I'm excited but, to see what they've got in a full camp. I just don't see – I don't expect a lot from either of them. Yeah. If you look back five years from now, you're just like, oh, that fight, I would feel confident saying that's a COVID fight right here. Right. Two guys, a little bit limited roster, but I'm excited to see. Maybe one of them will surprise us and be able to make a name for themselves in this division. Now, this fight is one I really want to talk about. Sean Strickland versus Jack Marshman. And I have not seen the line yet. I, I would imagine Sean Strickland is the is a heavy favorite in the minus two to three hundred range. I'm looking now. Yep, minus three fifty. So not surprising there. Sean Strickland's a guy that I have a ton of respect for. One thing that's shocking to me is I believe he lost to a. Uh, oh, maybe he hasn't fought him. I was thinking he lost to Elias Teodoro, but it doesn't look like he has. But notable recent wins over Nordine Taleb. He lost to Dos Santos, but Sean Strickland's a guy that I think if he really gets it going, he should be able to make a name for himself in the UFC. He recently is on a year layoff, his last fight being October 27th, 2018. So, you know, 
as we've seen recently, guys who take a layoff and come back and Brian Ortega, they can be completely new fighters. And I'm not suggesting you lay the minus 350 line, but I, I love, I love uh, Sean Strickland here. Yeah, Reese kind of laid it out. I do think Strickland's by far more technically sound pretty much everywhere. It worries me that he's moving up from 170 to 185 for this fight. It worries me that he's had a long layoff. There might be ring rust. It worries me that he is that minus 350 favorite after this layoff. For me, it's dog or pass, but I'm probably just going to pass. Yeah, the answer for me is a no bet as well. But what's interesting is to see what Sean Strickland looks like here because – for all we know, after a year or two layoff, I mean, he has the frame at 6-1 to just be an – I mean, he could be a fucking monster here. So I, I don't know if his weight cuts were grueling beforehand. I just know he's a, he's a brown belt in BJJ. He has the ability to stand and stay striking. And from what I understand, in martial arts, your peak – or you start to hit your stride at, at around 28, and your prime is from – 28 to 33 34 and he's sitting at 29 right now so if if he used this layoff time wisely to hone his skills for all we know we might be talking next week and 350 was a steal but jack marshman's a guy who he he's a he's a guy who's going to go in there and just be a a a punching bag um but brings a lot of power to the table but i definitely have sean strickland here definitely so yeah, that's what I'm excited for personally. I'm looking forward to on the card. Moving along on the prelims, right after Sean Strickland, we got Adrian Yanez versus Victor Rodriguez. Not too familiar with this. Dan, anything you want to touch on? or Yanez was a guy we saw at a contender series this year. He's super fast. The dude is super technical. He's like a spider. Oh, shit. Was, was Yanez the guy who had that ridiculous KO? Yes. Like, yes. Yeah, okay. That's exciting, um, actually. For Phantom, he has a ton of power. There's a reason why he's this big of a favorite, especially with Rodriguez taking the fight on short yeah, notice. He's in at 390. He's in at 390 right now. Right. I don't, I don't want to touch it at the number, but Yanez is a guy who – this is going to be a fun fight, and there should be a great performance. Yeah. And for those of you who haven't seen his Tuesday Night Contender Series knockout, it is absolutely vicious. For a guy who, who weighs in at 135, he has ridiculous power. So the – prelim headliner there's a one familiar name alexander hernandez and then someone who more of the hardcores might know and chris gritzmacher he was a old tough guy. uh tough guy yeah he was on the season against the black zillions i believe american top team versus black zillions so he's a guy who's a, a bit of a journeyman as in the fact that he doesn't get a ton of fights year in and year out but i know he recently beat lozon and by recently i mean like god's gotta be a couple years ago so, I mean, I know Joe Lozon hasn't fought in a while, but I mean, this one's interesting. I would imagine Alexander Hernandez is another favorite in the, in the 300 range. Um, well, even higher, he's minus 400 where it sits as of taping, which is Wednesday around 10 PM. So that's another no bet for me, but look for Alexander Hernandez to really be able to make a staple for himself. But honestly, I wouldn't count Gritzmacher out here. His experience in the game I wouldn't be surprised if he's pulled something flashy over here on, on Alexander Hernandez for me, like a I, sub. I know I uh, prefaced it a little bit to Reese and Kobe, but I'm not a, you, I'm not a guy who usually is on any over unders in this sport to this card. I'm, I love a lot of over unders. It's starting with this one, 
to me, I see that although Hernandez is decent wrestling, he has zero gas tank. His cardio is super shitty. This being at 2.5, I like the under 2.5 here. I like either yeah. one of them gassing in, in this fight ending early. And and telling on to that, I just I just went up and checked because I know Gritzmacher, although he's not a submission specialist, Alexander Hernandez is looking to take this to the mat. And if he gasses, he could absolutely get caught by a less physically dominant Gritzmacher. And Gritzmacher to win by sub is plus 1,200. So if you're in a hole going to the prelims, which you won't be if you tail us here, that's not a terrible play either. Yeah, uh, and that under like two and a half is even plus minutes. 130. Yeah, I don't mind that one. The, 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 you can get value when the weight classes are low. And so this being at lightweight, it's easy to say that it's going to go over. But yeah, I'm with you, Dan. I, I, I don't mind the under there. And, and again, follow us over on Ankle Pick Pod because the official plays will be released there. And I wouldn't be surprised if DK Capper MMA, which is Danny, will be on that play. So we're going to truck along and we're going to get into the main event challenge. Now, it's going to be a little bit shorter of a segment this week because there, like we said earlier, there is no Parker, there is no Max, but we're going to post all their plays on the graphic this week, which you're familiar to. Again, we post that over on Twitter. And so... For those keeping track of home, where are we at in the standings? Yeah, well, so this is, this is, a, this is where, this is the moment in the pod where I pass it off to Kobe. Uh, who is the silent wanderer tonight and has been here the entire time sipping back whiskey, but he's a little bit of a fly on the wall and we fucking love him for it. Kobe, where are the standings at and how are we looking? Yeah. When the cappers have a clean sweep of the board, it's usually uh, a good sign for how, how we're doing in the main event challenge. We all finished with similar totals this week, 14, 11, 14, 13, 14. Uh, I stretched my lead a little bit on Reese. 142 for me. You were the 11. It's because I went on islands. God. 142 for me, 121 for Reese, 117 for Dan, 116 for Max, and 111 for Parker. So Parker's catching up. Yeah, Parker's really starting to heat up down there. Tailing this fly on the wall. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting close to making a mandatory rule that everyone needs to take at least one underdog because Kobe just sits here with best fight odds up and just rattles off favorites all day long. So – it's impressive. You're in first. I could have done it. Uh, so apparently Vegas knows more than I do. You're on mute, Chief. I could have guessed Love that Vegas was going to be leading us. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Vegas no. is leading us. Yeah, Vegas, a.k.a. Kobe, a.k.a. Country Club athlete, is leading the charge. But I love to see the fact that Parker's gaining ground. And as you know, if you've tuned in the last couple of weeks, Parker just insta-tails Kobe. So for this week, Dan is going to give his picks. I will give mine. Kobe will give his. Parker will tag along. And then Shiner will be on the graphic. So we're going to try to get Shiner's picks in early so he doesn't get extra time on us. So we'll try to figure that out tonight. But the graphic will not be up until probably Friday night or Saturday morning. So moving forward with that, let's kick it off. I believe I said I'm first. Danny. Would you want to take it, or do you want me to go ahead and just I can, for the – I can go whenever. I would love for you to go first because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. For we're sure. Start it off, we're going to start it off with a fight I'm actually really excited for, Bobby Green versus Tiago Moises. Yeah, so I think as a podcast, we all made money on the Tiago Moises uh, random sub on Michael Johnson. 
But one thing we also learned in that fight is that Tiago doesn't have the best stand-up game. This will be actually Green's fourth fight of the year, fourth fight without fans, fourth fight since the shutdown. Uh, This is a guy who loves to stay busy. He looked great against Venata. I've got Green by KO here. I I think that he's going to be too much for Tiago on the the feet, and I don't see this spending too much on the ground when Bobby Green is dry, when Tiago can get that sub. I love Tiago's ground game, but I don't see him being able to utilize it here. Yeah, I like that. And, and I cannot urge enough. At a minus 310 clip for Bobby Green, this is an absolute no bet because Tiago has the ability to end this. However, when I just like Danny touched on, when I look at the differential in the stand-up game, Bobby Green has a wrestling background. Bobby Green has a foundation on the ground. Tiago hasn't shown me that he has a strong foundation on the feet. And again, I, I'm sure Kobe's going to follow suit through the fact that Bobby Green's a favorite, but I like Bobby Green here. I'm going to go against what Danny said. I'm going to actually take the method as by decision because I think Bobby Green respects Tiago's not only his power, but also his ground game. And I think that this is going to be one that is a very technically sound fight. And both of them are going to get their their shots in. But I think evidently Bobby Green's going to do enough to get the job done. So Bobby Green via decision. For me, BG decision. Just keep it moving. Yep. All right. Moving forward in the main event challenge, we got a heavyweight bout between Mo Maurice Green versus Greg Hardy. An interesting fact quick, too. Mo Green is from Evanston, Illinois, which is a neighboring suburb of ours. Um which is pretty cool. So, Dan, heavyweight bout, Mo Green versus Greg Hardy. Yeah, so I I know I mentioned a little bit ago that I've got a couple of over-unders that I'm eyeing. The way that this plays out for me, I noticed that, I mean, in the Jorgen DeCastro fight, Hardy was getting picked apart until Jorgen broke his foot, and then Hardy still couldn't finish him with a broken foot. I see this. I'm I'm going Hardy by decision, but the play I like here is over one and a half. Obviously, Damn. these guys are heavyweights. They've got a lot of power, but I love this over one and a half play. I love it on this fight. Dan, I'm so happy you mentioned it here because I also was. The thing that I've learned about heavyweight bouts, especially ones like these – are the overs, the one and a half overs, they, they come so far down due to the power that these guys are known to have, but they both respect each other's power so much and they try to set things up that they tend to go over. I catch the over on Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou. I catch the over on a lot of Stipe fights, Stipe JDS, Stipe Daniel Cormier. So there's a lot of, of money to be made on big heavyweight overs if they're if they actually have a game plan to go by. And, and I agree sitting at only minus 125. It's not like on these guys one are... and a half on over yeah. one and a half, no less. So that I agree with you, Dan. I, I like that one a lot. And that'll probably be on my sheet this week and could be a decent parlay ad. You can also get over two and a half, which is definitely a little bit riskier due to the fact that I could see a gas out. And that's sitting at plus 162 over at William Hill, which really isn't as much value as I'd like, but we're getting too bogged down. So I agree on the over. Did you pick your person? And yeah, I've got Hardy decision. Hardy decision. Okay. 
I like that pick. I'm actually going Maurice Green by decision. I, I hate Mo Green. I won't lie to you. I've watched him fight live actually twice, weirdly enough. And I also have, have seen him fight throughout. He's got great submission game. Very, very loopy, striking, not too crisp. I just think that the mixed martial artist in him is going to allow him to win when it hits the cards. Because Hardy, we, we give him credit because he's so – he has so much power and he's such a big name, but at the end of the day, he's been doing mixed martial arts for like at most three years. It feels like, you know, he's so new to the game and Dana really is utilizing the promotional aspect of, of Greg Hardy, but I, I don't see him. I mean, if he does win, it's going to be by KOTKO. I, I, I respect your decision call. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it. I, I'm going to go Mo Green by decision. I think that, if it does go to the ground for whatever reason, that Mo probably could get a submission due to the fact that what Greg Hardy's a white belt and he's but got those long arms he could lock up chokes ridiculously from anywhere. long, yeah, ridiculously long. But it's also going to be like the most unexperienced. I mean, Greg Hardy's more physically dominant, but it's going to be like doing a practice session, you know, against a guy like Greg Hardy on the ground. But the the thing is, I think that he's going to use his length in this to be able to win when if it does in fact hit the cards and we're both going over so i'm gonna go mo green by decision i guess i'm gonna sound like a bad listener but because i'm you guys basically just talked me out of this whole pick here but i'm gonna go stick to my guns hardy strikes yeah dan no oh dan i went decision but yeah okay vegas chalk why do we even give we should change kobe's name on the graphic to just vegas just so we can see how we do with the actual odds itself um okay oh no 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 sorry i'm jumping the gun here i'm too excited kevin holland versus muradov mahmoud 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 muradov dan lead it off i'm hoping you give me a little more insight than i have based on the way i just pronounced that dude's name so yeah although we see uh Mahmoud is one of those Eastern Bloc guys, one of those Caucasus Mountain Warriors, and that would lead you to believe he's wrestle-heavy. He actually has, of his 24 professional wins, 16 knockouts. He's got real powerful hands. This guy loves to blitz. He loves to throw. He loves to clinch. He loves to smack. Holland, on the other, fan, on the other hand, is your quintessential range fighter. He, he, he fights long. He fights tall. He tries to outpoint you. One thing I worry about is sometimes he exits his combo with his chin just straight up in the air. He should have a grappling advantage here, though. I, I think Holland is, is the better grappler. I think that I would like a play on Muradov, but I'm going with Holland by decision for the uh, main event challenge. One thing I – now that I say it, I mean – Murdov with his 16 KOs and Holland, a guy who's finished Buckley, a guy who's, uh, I mean, a guy who puts guys out with his precision striking. I would love an under two and a half play here at plus 180. At plus 180, under two and a half is not really attractive in this one. Yeah, that's not, that's good value there based on, based on the fact that. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, power in 16 KOs, and, and there's not a lot of tape on him either. So, 
so Dan, the guy who doesn't do over-unders, has three so far logged. But Dan, so what's your final pick on, on this for main event challenge? Yeah, so I, the, the pick that I have written down, I feel like I just talked my way out of, but I have Holland decision. Okay. So if you guys listen week in and week out, the other day I made some money over on a Jonathan Martinez because the line seemed off. As a capper, I always go back and forth on my MMA knowledge versus my knowledge of betting and how Vegas makes lines. This is one of those where I'm very conflicted because the uh, MMA knowledge in me wants to say that Kevin Holland never been finished via strikes in the UFC, has a lot of UFC experience, is an extremely rangy fighter against a guy who I don't believe this is his UFC debut, but it, it, it's not. He has two fights in the UFC debut. One was a unanimous decision versus Alessio DiCarico, and then the other one was a KO punch of, of Trevor Smith, but that was really late in the fight. So for me, I, I just don't see Holland getting finished because he has the long resume of him not getting finished against guys who do pack a lot of power. Tiago Santos is one that comes to name. So, Joaquin Buckley pretty recently. Joaquin Buckley as well. So this one's really tough for me because the better in me, everything in my being wants me to take the opposite. But I'm actually going to go Kevin Holland via, via decision. All right, then I'll take the opposite. Muradov strikes. There's my there dog. There you go. There you go. No, you're, you're a dog, and it's a good one. So I, I love that. Uh, based on the fact that his reasoning was, there's my dog, might be a little bit luck when it eventually cashes, but I talked myself out of it. So there we go. Um, now we're starting to get into the real talk. The co-main event of the evening, Bryce Mitchell versus Andre Tachi Feely. Dan, I know your pick, but go ahead anyways. Yeah, you do know my pick. I'm a big fan of Bryce Mitchell. It's, it's worth me mentioning anytime we bring up his name. This is a guy who injured himself by ripping his ball sack open because he put a power drill into his pocket, his front pocket, and then flicked it on. And so he had to drive himself to the hospital because he power drilled his ball sack. And that, if you don't believe it, look it up. That is a true story about Bryce Mitchell. Regardless, this guy is an absolute savage on the ground. I've mentioned before there are a lot of levels to jujitsu, and especially once you get your black belt, there's a lot of levels to what kind of black belt you are. Bryce Mitchell is a high-level black belt. Bryce Mitchell is a guy who is absolutely nuts on the ground. Feely should have a slight advantage on the feet here. I don't think that Bryce is going to outpoint him at any point. But if this, if this fight hits the mat at any point, it's Bryce Mitchell's to lose. And I do think it's going to. I don't think Feely's going to keep it up for the whole time. I've got Bryce Mitchell by sub. Oh, I need to say, if you're a resident listener of this podcast, you know I'm 100% on the fade team alpha male train. One thing I'd like to add is, again, the Vegas in me is telling me to Brett touchy Feely. This line seems low, but I would rather die than bet on Team Alpha Male, Air 2-4, Bryce Mitchell sub. Um, we'll make it a Vegas, sweet Bryce Mitchell sub. Vegas Cobe. Okay. Country Club athlete has Bryce Mitchell by sub. That means Parker's following suit, so Shiner could potentially pick up points there. 
the main event of the evening, Uriah Hall versus Anderson the Spider Silva. Dan, I'm happy you're kicking this one off. If you listened to the point five episode, you would know that we had no idea where this line was due to the main value behind Silva and the underwhelming performances of Uriah Hall. But, Danny, go ahead. So, yeah, this line is a little bit steeper than I thought in favoring Uriah Hall. The way that I see it, um, Silva has announced that it's his retirement fight. He's 45 years old at this point. It's a little bit overdue in my head, even though he's one of the greatest to ever step foot in this octagon. I think that Hall should have the athleticism advantage. He's not a 45-year-old man. Uh, I mean, he's 36, but he's not a 45-year-old man. One thing that I I was listening to a uh, Uriah Hall interview recently, and he sounds hungry. Apparently, he's sleeping in his gym. He's got his mind completely focused on this fight. But the one thing that worries me is he's sleeping in his gym, and it's Fortis MMA. It's, it's, it's Ryan Spann. It's, we've seen Fortis have some of the worst game plans of all time as of late, and that worries me. But that being said, I'm going, I'm going with Uriah Hall by knockout. I think that Anderson's too old. The thing that worries me really is not so much Anderson's skill. It's the respect that Uriah is going to give him. I'm worried that they're going to fight a 25-minute sparring session, not go for finishes, throw from distance, see who can land a spinning trick, see who can land a whatever. I'm worried about that. But I think that Uriah has the athleticism to end Spider's Night early. I'm going, I'm going Hall KO. I like that. I think Anderson, Anderson Silva spent his entire career being the guy who hits and doesn't get hit. And he's one of those guys that when I was first getting into the sport was someone that I could not wait to see fight. Back when fight cards were once every two months, it felt like. So if I'm hoping this is truly his retirement fight because, again, he's 45 and you want to see long-term health for him. But being the fan of me, regardless of what I think, believe, or the line dictates, I'm going Anderson Silva via decision. For my third underdog, by the way, in the main event channel. I love it. Going out on a limb. It's, it's, it takes a bold strategy to catch up to the lead that, you're, the lead that I have here. Um, Sorry that I have I'm fun. With, I'm glad you have fun because I do too, and I, that's the whole point here. <laughs> that and to make money. Uh, and speaking of making money, I'll take Uriah Hall by strikes. So it looks like Uriah Hall by strikes is going to be the podcast favorite. Matt Shiner's picks will be on the graphic that we have as long as well as both Danny and myself's bats for the week. Again, and Reese, where's that graphic posted? The graphic is posted on Twitter at ankle pick pod. We got retweeted by Marlins man, which was a highlight. Danny, go ahead. The last thing I want to say about this fight, I know that I've been kind of taking a page out of, someone else's playbook with all these over-unders. I love the under four and a half here. These guys are What's too old. On that? And these guys are too old to go five rounds, 25 minutes of action, unless what I said is true and they are just playing patty cake and sparring. Someone's going down. Someone's going to end their night early. 
And just to let everybody know, for those listeners, it is minus 110 each way on that four and a half. So that's a pick em. Danny has four over-unders. We'll see how many of them he plays. Again, the only way to find out is to go follow us over on Ankle Big Pot. If you've listened this far already, you are a legend. We truly do put a ton of work here, and we appreciate all the support we get. Um, continue to, you know, stay good. Follow us over on Ankle Pick Pod and enjoy the rest of your week. We can't wait for this fight card, and we will see you. Actually, this squad will see you over on Monday for the 17.5 episode of Guess the Line. So that's it for us here tonight. Hopefully, we can get you some more winners. One last time, go follow us on Ankle Pick Pod to make sure you get our picks for these this upcoming week. We are we've swept two out of the last three weeks. So funny. The time is now. We wish you all the best, nothing but good health, and we appreciate all your support. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.